Welcome to the Retail Exchange Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Spring Fair 2022, the UK's most diverse, relevant, and exciting buying destination for wholesale home, gift, and fashion. Spring Fair 2022, refueling retail. Hello and welcome to the latest in the interview series on the Retail Exchange podcast with me, Mark Faithful. In this episode, we meet the co-founder of delicious business success story, Joe and Sefs. From humble beginnings as an entrepreneurial family startup in the founder's kitchen, gourmet pop-up brand, Joe and Sefs is now available around the world. It enjoys a loyal and growing following for its meticulously produced popcorn. Despite the company's success and expanding range of product lines, it remains singularly committed to one thing, creating the best tasting popcorn possible. That focus has helped to reinvent a category, taking the world of popcorn far beyond simply being a Moorish movie treat. I sat down with Joe and Seth's co-founder and managing director, Paul Sofer, to explore the intriguing story behind the brand, discuss the challenges of living life as an entrepreneur and the importance of family. So grab a bag of popcorn, Joe and Seth's of course, sit back and enjoy this episode. Paul, thank you so much for joining us today. I wonder if we could start by me asking you to talk us through the brand story of Joe and Seth's. Yeah, sure. So it started, my, my dad is Joseph. So the, the, the man behind the brand, he went out to the States in the 80s, tried caramel style popcorn over there, loved it and bought some back for friends and family. He bought it back, they loved it. And he thought, you know what? I'm going to create my own caramel sauce, coat it on the popcorn and see what they think. They loved it. And, and at the time he was in an electrical business, had no intention of turning that into a business. And he thought, um, you know, and he just bought it out for parties over the years. And then fast forward to 2007 or 2008, and his old business uh, went into administration and he thought, you know what, I'm going to semi-retire and uh, that's it, I'm sort of done with business. And then in 2010, I just left university at the time and he thought, I've got, got a son sitting around, let's, let's take this to a food show and, and sort of see what happens. So we took these six recipes that our family loved and our friends loved and took them to the BBC Good Food Show in Birmingham and happened to meet the Selfridges buyer there. Uh, she tried it, loved it, and within four weeks we're in Selfridges. And then over the years, we became quite big within speciality. We launched into um, you know the big names within speciality, Harvey Nichols, Harrods, and then we had a lucky break into cinemas. And I suppose cinemas, I suppose four years after, after we launched was the, the story of our, of our growth. And over 70% of our business pre-COVID was in cinemas, airline sort of leisure. And I should say, you know, we went back out to the States in 2000 and just after we'd launched the business. It must've been about 2010, 2011. And we thought, just after we had a Selfridges listing, Harrods listing, and we thought, how do we take this uh, and commercialize and, and, and sort of mass produce our popcorn? And we realized actually that the way in which my dad had produced the popcorn was so different to the American style that he tasted because he just sort of tasted it and thought, don't want to turn this into a business, just want to create my own recipe. And we realized that the machinery that you use in the US, you can't replicate our recipe. So. I suppose our, our USP today is that it's all handmade. It's, it's pretty much the original process that we had. It still uses pots and pans. 
where the primary ingredient is still butter rather than sugar, so it's a much creamier taste than the American style. And that's why, in, in the popcorn world, we're the only ones making popcorn in the way that we do, which is a really hands-on process. So it's quite extraordinary to go from trying out these different flavours and, and testing things in your kitchen to suddenly being in Selfridges, literally in a matter of weeks. Yeah. How did that actually feel? When we were on the listing, we thought, wow, we've made it. And um, so I should mention as well, we, we had a retail store in Brent Cross Shopping Centre just when we launched the business. And at the time, there was a big recession going on and uh, Brent Cross essentially had some space and said, look, guys, you know, we've got some, I think, I think a, a company had, had recently gone bust or, and, and they said, we've got this space there. Do, do you want to take it? And, and we thought, right, this is, this is perfect because we're expecting, we've just won that Selfridges listing and we're expecting Selfridges to order sort of 10 cases of one flavor, 10 cases of another flavor once a week. What do we do the other four days of the week with those sort of 20 cases or 30 cases we've made? So, that, so we, we were quite lucky in that sense that we had two outlets for the products, Brent Cross, uh, which was our own retail outlet, and Selfridges. Um, but yeah, to, to turn that from what was a kitchen recipe to, to something that we started commercializing was, was challenging. We had a rent by the hour kitchen and we have an amazing head chef called Caroline, um, who was, a, when I say head chef, she was the ex-head chef of one of the leading London hotels. And um, she, yeah, she really helped us along that journey. And we had a rent by the hour kitchen. So we literally went in, I think we had booked it for like three hours. We made as much as we could in those three hours, quickly bagged it. <laughs> put some header cards on the pr product and sent it to Selfridges. And we, we carried on like that, literally booking three hours a week for, for the good sort of first six to nine months of when we launched the business. That's absolutely uh, incredible. And presumably the, the store at Brent Cross was a great testing ground for you as well. It, it was. Um, so if I look, today we've got something like over 60 flavors of popcorn and a whole range of other things. At the time we only had six flavors. It was a stall in the middle of the mall, and it was great. It was the first time, I suppose, that we had proper feedback from customers that wasn't at a food show where, I suppose, you'd expect at a consumer show, you'd expect people to be spending money on, on sort of uh, niche food. At Brent Cross, it was just your everyday shopper, and that's where we got some, some real feedback of, you know, and, and actually a couple of flavors subsequent to that were delisted because we just weren't getting the, the right sort of vibes from that, from that store. If your family hadn't had that passion for popcorn and actually decided to, to do something about it, do you have any feeling for what you'd be doing now? I, well, I wasn't tax, so I'd probably be in the city either as a tax accountant or I probably would have diversified away from that into banking or something in the city, I'd, I'd imagine. Well, clearly, banking's loss is popcorn's gain. <laughs> so when you look back at those early years, I mean, you've already talked about, you know, a very unconventional way of starting a, a brand. Can you remember some of the really early challenges and, and was there a, did you feel there was a turning point or a moment where things changed? I'd say when we launched the business and we, we had a Brent Cross store, we had, we had Selfridges, from there it was very incremental. It took us, I think, four years to get from zero to a million pound and there we were sort of gaining 100,000, 200,000 pound a year in terms of turnover. As soon as we launched into, so we launched into a mid-sized cinema, chain at the time and then they got taken over by Cineworld and Cineworld saw popcorn and, and 
they saw the success, I suppose, that we were having in in uh, picture house cinemas and said, right, let's let's go national with Joe and Seth's. And I think as soon as we got that, the turnover pretty much doubled overnight. And that, yeah, that was one of the big challenges was how are we going to make all this stuff? Now, one of the other striking things about the business is that it's a family business. Mm. Uh, you run it with your brother. So and, and my mum and dad and as well, yeah. Your mum and dad. family. Now, what's that like on a personal level? What's that like? Uh, we all know about siblings, everyone that's got brothers or sisters. What's it like in a, in a business point, and particularly when you're in such an expansionist mode? So, I mean, we've been working together now for a long time. Yeah, I mean, we've, we started it in 2010. I mean, look, there, there are always going to be days where there are challenges, but I think what's worked is that as the business has grown, we've each got our own distinct area. Uh, my dad's very keen on production. My mum's very keen on QVC. Myself, it's sales and marketing, and Adam takes overall lead on as, as MD. So I think having those distinct areas definitely helps. But but yeah, sure, there's always going to be days where you're going to be more open and honest with your family than you are necessarily with you know an employee, and therefore the arguments are going to be that bit more heated. But I think. Yeah, you, you, we, we leave every day in the office, even when we have a big debate on a flavor or whatever that is, and we come back the next day pretty fresh and, and sort of water under the bridge. Was there any sense when you were younger that you and your brother might do something together or would your friends not believe where you are now? As, as it was, as a family unit, uh, no, I, I don't think there was ever, ever the thought that we'd all be in it together as a family. And I think if, if there was, yeah, I, uh, I don't know many people that start off young thinking, right, we all want to work together as a family. I mean, that would be great. I suppose if we were farmers or something like that and we had a family farm, it would be different. But no, I, I think we all were initially went our separate ways and then were fate to, if you like, put us all back together. You're drawn together by the popcorn. Exactly. You talked about Brent Cross being a, a testing ground for product development because yep. you were getting direct feedback from people. What's that product development process now? How intense is the process and the discussions and, and how do you decide which direction to go and which ones don't make the cut because you did say some flavors uh, go? Yeah, so in, in terms of the quantity, if, if you look at our range on, on our stand or, or what we've had come out in the last 24 months, it's, it's vast. And if you think about the, the, the quantity of things that we talk about in meetings that don't make the cut, it's, it's, it's probably two or three times that. So in, in terms of the process at the start, I think I, think I mentioned earlier uh, that, we, yeah, we had the store in Brent Cross, but I suppose now it's a bit more formal. We've got a, a marketing team. We have formal MPD meetings and we do sort of customer surveys. We still take MPD to food shows, be it trade shows or consumer shows, and we have uh, popcorn um, to show sort of VIP customers, existing customers, and uh, gather feedback that way. But essentially, it still comes down to do we like the product? And if it's not best tasting and we don't like the product, it's never going to make the cut. One of the things I did notice was that you've obviously moved into the vegan side of things yep. as well. How big a process was that to try and replicate what you were doing on the vegan side? It's, it's pretty tough. So, so the primary ingredient, I think I mentioned earlier, is, is, is butter. And so it's, it's, to move away from that, my dad on the production side uh, I, it, it took him a, a number of batches to, to move away from butter to oat milk. What we have, I think, if you taste our salted caramel, or a vegan salted caramel versus our salted caramel, I'd taste the difference because I suppose I've been in the business for a long time. But I think if you tried it to an average person, 
they, they're probably not going to know the difference. And I think that's testament to my dad, Caroline in the kitchens, spending a lot of time on that recipe and uh, really perfecting it. I'm sure a lot of the people listening in will be thinking about an entrepreneurial company like yours and how you manage the risk and possible fear of fail- failure and challenges. How do you evaluate things? And you've moved in a lot of different directions as well and obviously moved out of your comfort zone on a regular basis. When I left the tax world to become a popcorn entrepreneur, it was, uh, I, I suppose, the, the risk of failure was, I, I suppose the personal risk of failure of a product was, was high. But I think now we will launch things and, and we failed in, in a number of MPD items that we've launched. And I suppose the, the fear of missing out now for me is, is a lot worse than the risk of doing something and it failing. If we launch a product and it's an absolute flop, then I prefer that we you know, launch two products, one of them is a flop and one of them is a huge success than to have launched, than to have launched nothing at all. Well, that's definitely a very positive way of looking at things. And I, I think you're right, the way that you actually get to achieve change and, and to make things happen. And on that, when you look back now, what you've done in a, in a relatively short period of time, are there things that you wish you'd known sooner and may have done differently? I mean, had I have known about COVID, we definitely would have done a lot of things differently. <laughs> uh, we would have invested a lot more earlier in online and that would have, yeah, that would have paid off a lot quicker than uh, us sort of focusing online a lot later. Had of, and then I, I suppose taking COVID aside, I think if you look at the range today and what we offer, it's it's broader than uh, popcorn in, in a pouch. We do we do a lot of gifting. We sell caramel sauces. We've just launched our second electrical appliance, which is a, a caramel and chocolate fountain. I think we could have looked a little bit broader earlier. I think we were very focused on delivering incremental popcorn flavors. And we probably could have done that, um, yeah, one or two years earlier than we have. Was perhaps the reason that online didn't seem so important, the, the nature of the product, because it's obviously something you, you know you taste and you smell. How was actually pivoting to online for, for necessary reasons gone? And has it taught you anything different about the business? It's Yes, yeah, so online for us has been huge. So we always had an online business. For us, we were uh, we never gave it the focus because... We sort of thought, right, our, our core customers are, are trade customers. Let's focus on the trade customers and give them sort of all the love and attention. And uh, online sort of does what it does. I think as soon as COVID hit, online went from something like 5% of our turnover to more like 90% of our turnover. It just went absolutely, absolutely nuts. And I think the, the best thing we get is we, we didn't, I didn't think that we'd get the customer reaction that we get at food shows that we get online, but actually you do. People write in saying, I hate this flavor, I love this flavor. And we get, you know, if I take Marmite as an example, I've, I've probably had close to a hundred emails from people critiquing or um, telling us how we could make that flavor better or they don't like don't like how it compares to the normal Marmite um, uh, that, that they eat every day. So I, I think, yeah, that, that's definitely surprised me. Um, but in, in, you know, in a great way. And the more feedback we get, the more we can, we can change things. And I think it's more honest feedback when people send an email than necessarily when you're at a food show. And they, a lot of people are honest, but when, when it's in an email, I think they're even more, they're more brutal and honest than, uh, than necessarily we see them face to face. Yes, I can imagine that. And, and when you're talking about 
the sort of feedback you've had, the sorts of different markets you've moved into, the fact that obviously along with all the rest of the retail and food and beverage industries, you had to cope with COVID. Are there any standout moments in terms of what you're proudest of, of what you've done with the brand so far or with the business? For me personally, it was how we pivoted over COVID. So it was an absolute transformation. We were basically, our core business was cinemas, airlines, and a little bit, you know, we supplied a little bit into, into grocery, a small bit into online, a small bit into Amazon, people like that. And we went within six months from that being, like I say, 5% of our business to pretty much dominating of it being way over, even, even once start, things started reopening to be, being still about 70% of our turnover now online. As you're growing in terms of both products and, and being more multi-channel, how do you ensure the decisions that perhaps were easier to make to ensure that your brand DNA stayed the same when you were a, a young and small business? How do you make sure that that still applies in, in this new side of your business? I think it comes down to, uh, one, it's the staff, and uh, but also it's the, the products that we're launching. And I think the, the biggest test that we said at the start when we, when we launched the business was, when we try a product, is it the best tasting product that we've tried? When, we, when I try Marmite, I might not like Marmite, but when I test other consumers, is that the best tasting Marmite product that is out there on the market? And when, when we've launched stuff consistently, whether or not it's our, you know, our hot cross bun sauce, that's crazy, uh, crazy in itself, but it, it, it tastes amazing. And I think if you try it, you'll be like, wow, that's hot cross bun. So I think on the, on the product side, that's how we've sort of managed it. And, and on the staff side, if you meet the staff on our stand, I think, and, and you know, the staff in our, in our warehouse, they know that they're selling the best tasting products and they're super passionate about that. And I think that sort of drives forward in terms of the, the company culture and also in terms of what, what we bring out that's new. So you've already talked about the fact you did move into some diversification as well as online uh, during COVID. Where next? Have you had discussions about what else you're going to be doing or whether you're going to be looking at some of those um, brands and categories that have worked well and expanding them? What COVID showed us is that we can, we can move into close categories without necessarily changing our identity. So we launched a popcorn maker, we're launching a caramel fountain. Uh, there, there are a number of products that I think will wow and surprise you that we've got coming out in, in uh, sort of Q2, Q3, that will, you'll be like, oh, that's, that's pretty, didn't even think of that one. It would be those sorts of products that we'll be launching. And are there categories or areas that you feel wouldn't work with the brand or areas that you perhaps wouldn't be interested in going into because you, you wouldn't feel it fitted with what you're doing generally? I think, so at the moment, there's a big push towards HFSS and that's a bit of a debate internally with us. So we've launched vegan popcorn and that took us a long time to get right and I suppose the initial reaction internally was our, our popcorn uses butter how can we get the same taste but but using using a vegan milk and we, we managed to do that I think with HF and and without losing that best tasting message I think with this HFSS and I, I suppose a, a general message of being healthy, it's a question of how do we, do we lose best tasting by becoming healthy? I think we're working on some stuff behind the scenes that hopefully will launch something that means that we're not, just by being healthy, we're not gonna lose that, uh, still all natural, et cetera, but we're not gonna lose that best tasting message. When you look at what other brands are doing out there, 
obviously there has been a huge amount of transformation and innovation going on in the market for quite a few years, but COVID accelerated a lot of that. Are there food or non-food related brands that really inspire you most and, and for what reasons? I think what Hotel Chocolat have done over the last year, they've got a really strong online presence. They've got um, some great looking retail stores. And yeah, I think that they've done a great job. I think that that's probably the brand that I'd look to. I'd say for me is quite standout in what they've done over the last few years. I think their stores look great and, and particularly what they've done online in terms of targeting corporate customers and how if you, if you want to get chocolate gifts, they, they've become the, the go-to, I suppose. I think their email marketing is also pretty good. When you look at what you've done with your own brand over the, the past decade or so, did you ever envisage it was going to grow as big as it has now? If you asked me the question right at the start, the answer would have been no. I think after about four years, we had a bit of a plan in place where we thought, right, we're going to get this sort of incremental sales. But even if you asked me four years ago, where do you think you'd be? I'd probably say I'd be selling nine flavors or 15 flavors of popcorn. And that's the core of our business. I wouldn't have expected us to be selling the sort of breadth and, and range that we've developed. So caramel sauces, popcorn bites, which are really cool. They're like chocolate buttons with a popcorn on top and a, a, a popcorn maker. From all the things you've said, it sounds like uh, you live an incredibly busy life. Do you get some time to think outside of the brand? And, and if so, what do you do when you want to switch off and not think about popcorn for a little while? I, I do get some time to switch off. And, and that's generally when I go on holiday rather than, <laughs> rather than hanging, hanging around at home. I think, yeah, you, you're right. It's, it's really challenging when you're running a, a business. There's always something that's going to go wrong. And you're always the person that, that will probably get that call. But I'd say, you know, I'm lucky that we've got a family. Uh, it's not just myself. So there's um, other people who don't take holidays at exactly the same time for that reason. Getting away from it all is the, is the best way to uh, sort of switch off. And finally, I'm sure there'll be plenty of people listening to this podcast out there that might be sitting at their kitchen table with the mm. germ of an idea to do something, whether it be an F&B or retail. Is there any advice you could give them about how to begin? You can start a food business with, it's a low barrier to entry place. We started on a rent by the hour kitchen. You don't need a lot of money necessarily to start a food business. I think I'd start off small and get feedback from people as to, is this, and, and what's, what's the gap that you're trying to fill? And if you really think you've got something unique, then yeah, sure, start, start off small and it can grow really quickly. Well, look, thank you so much. I think there are, in the F&B industry, there are lots of stories about people starting small and starting with an idea, but I think it is quite a unique story you have there in terms of your family and the way it all began and uh, incredible success so far. So we wish you all the best in your future ventures. No more panics like COVID. And thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you and good to meet you. Thank you. You've been listening to the Retail Exchange Podcast. Subscribe online at theretailexchange.co.uk and join the debate on Twitter. Hashtag Retail Exchange. Thanks for listening. <laughs>